Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Things you learn from young people, it's just incredible, the things you learn. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. As I walked into the studio today, I was affronted, confronted by a young person and I said to them, what should I talk about today? And she said, Joe, there's something I need to tell you. And I said, what's that? And she said to me, do you know... There are poor people working in places like Bangladesh in the garment industry in Haiti who have been paid about a dollar a day, whose job it is to put tears in new jeans and make them look old so they can be sent to the you know the so-called first world and be bought for hundreds of dollars in shops. And I thought, that's it. That's it. That is the embodiment of capitalism, everything that's wrong with capitalism. It's not about having an economy which is based on the satisfaction of real human needs, but creating an economy which is based on the satisfaction out of artificial needs for the sole purpose of creating a profit irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. And I thought to myself, this deserves a poster. So hopefully the next week or two we will design one because I think this highlights everything that is wrong with the capitalist system and you can, uh, you know, use this example. Brilliant. Brilliant. And here I was, an old fuddy-duddy walking the street, seeing young people with ripped jeans thinking, well, it's time they bought a new pair of pants or a new pair of jeans. Not that I've ever worn jeans. I've got a moral objection to wearing jeans, but that's a, another story. So that's the story for today. Now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, no. It's not about making social observations because obviously I'm incapable of doing that. It's all about creating a society without rulers. Not without leaders, not without rules, but without rulers. Anarchos without rulers. 
And the best way I think, and many other people's think, not just yours truly, that you create a society without rulers is to devolve power. And the best way I can think about devolving power is through direct democratic principles, people making decisions and electing or appointing, appointing delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional and national level. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good, a society based on the satisfaction of real human needs. Here we have people wearing ripped jeans that have been ripped in some third world country to make a buck for some, you know, a whole plethora of people. And we can't even provide accommodation for every single man, woman and child in this country. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Well, let's move on. Let's pontificate. You like that? Pontificate. The Pope pontificates because the Pope is God's representative on earth. Joe Toscano is his own representative on earth, as you are. We don't need intermediaries to actually uh, tell us how to live our lives, do we? We don't need intermediaries. Now, first of all, I'd like to thank all those people who came to the unveiling of the Tanaminawaya Morbohini uh, monument in Melbourne on Sunday the 11th of September great turnout very emotionally charged uh, event and uh, historical occasion first time in the history of this country there's a major monument been erected by government authority the Melbourne City Council in this case to the frontier wars I'd just like to remind all our regular listeners and irregular listeners and new listeners that at midday on the 20th of January 2017, we'll be congregating, as we have done for the last 12 to 13 years, at the site of the hanging of Tanaminawe Morbohina at the monument site in order to designate the 20th of January as an Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. I mean, we've got Anzac Day. Why not have an Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day? Why not the 25th of January now that the, the monument is there? The date of the execution of Tanaminawe and Morbohina in 1842. Because, as I said on the day, and as I'll continue to say to the day I draw last breath, which, who knows, at my age, maybe around the corner. As I said, this is a monument to the tens of thousands of men, women and children who paid the ultimate price for the colonisation process. Who paid the ultimate price so you and I can live the way we live. And it's about time that we acknowledge the past. I mean, the Tanaminawaya Morbohina Commemoration Committee was formed in the dark days of the, turn, the beginning of the 21st century when the Howard-led government, and I have seen a little bit of John Howard lately in the media, to my chagrin, and the Murdoch media had been launching, launched and conducted a campaign to deny the brutality of the colonisation process as a direct consequence of the Mabo decision in 1992, which highlighted that Indigenous Australians had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land. So the establishment of this monument is a pivotal, pivotal historical moment and we need to continue this struggle. 
We need to see a section of the Australian War Memorial in Canberra have information and displays, both virtual and real, regarding the frontier wars which occurred across this country. In every city, in every suburb, in every town, in every village, there are monuments to men and women from this country who lost their lives fighting other people's wars overseas. Isn't it time? We have the same memorial structures across this country. So the ball is in your court. We've done what we can with the Tanaminoa Mobile Hine Commemoration Committee in the City of Melbourne. The ball is now in your court. Put your hand out to your Indigenous brothers and sisters. Work with them towards making the frontier wars an important part of our history. Acknowledge that past. It's real. It happened. So, you know, and it needs to be acknowledged. As I said before, as we all know, the 26th of January, the formation of a penal colony at uh, Port Jackson in Botany Bay is celebrated as Australia Day in this country. Extraordinary. Well, the 20th of January, from today, across this country, will be celebrated as Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. Six days before the so-called Australia Day. This is one way to subvert and change the day we celebrate as a people, our history, our country. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, as you know, I'm involved in a lot of things because, to be brutally honest, and, you know, at my age, you have to be brutally honest. I'm 64 going on to 65 in a few months, you've got to be brutally honest. To be brutally honest, you can either be a, a cringing, complaining consumer or you can be an active citizen. And if you're an atheist like me, death is the end of life. And if by some chance I'm wrong, which I doubt, well, then I'm going to pay for it for the rest of the eternity, you know, for denying the Lord or the Lordess. So... What's the point of sitting at home watching a screen? What's the point of being a virtual warrior? What's the point of being a carping, cringing, complaining consumer? There's no point. Now people say, how can you do all these things? Well, it's simple. You initiate them and you carry them out. It is not hard. Because we have lost as a people, we have lost the ability to initiate campaigns which promote change. If you look at the early history of this country, especially at the beginning of the 20th century, there were many organisations and groups of people coming together which pushed and shoved, which used direct action, not just political action, to raise concerns and see those concerns addressed by the governments of the day. And they did it through direct action. They did it through strikes, occupations, sit-ins, petitions. Just 
holding a handwritten little, you know, banner or piece of cardboard outside a bank and saying, these people suck the life force out of the, of the people. Bang. Immediately, you become a focus of attention, discussion. It's not hard. It's about making that decision. And then there are people who say to me, I'm too young, I'm too busy, I'm too old, I'm too sick, there's no point, you can't fight City Hall, nothing will ever change. And I say to them, hey, if you can't physically and actively be involved in the struggle for egalitarian social change, fine. But there's nothing stopping you from joining public interests before corporate interests. I mean, this is a political party. We aim to register as a political party in the next six to 12 months. We need 550 members on the electoral roll. Whether you're active or inactive doesn't really matter. What matters is that you agree to the principles public interest before corporate interest is based on and are happy to become a member. It doesn't matter if you're too old or too young or too sick or too bored or too listless or apathetic. You have the options of becoming involved in the activities organised by public interest before corporate interest or you have the options just to be a silent member. As I said before, legally we need 550 people on the Australian electoral roll to register the party. And if you want things to change, you need to use both direct action and political action. We need a combination of both activities. Both have a role in fomenting social change. Because ultimately, the role of the anarchist is to make people's lives better and to make our own lives better. That's our primary aim. It's simple. So... What's public interest before corporate interest got organised? What have they got organised? Well, obviously you can become a member. You can uh, download the application form from uh, pibci.net. That's P-I-B-C-I.net. P-I-B-C-I.net. Have a look at the application form. If you agree with what's there, join up. We're not going to bother you. Obviously, we'll keep you informed about what's happening. But come and join up. Why not? Now, the Hastings-Frankston branch of public interest before corporate interests have organised a public meeting. A very simple meeting which should have been organised years ago, which should be organised across this country. Stop the privatisation of public schools. Don't privatise our schools. Our schools are not for sale. Public Forum, which looks at the crisis in Australian public schools. Is education money being spent where it is needed? How overpopulated are our schools? Funding for future schools. Why are educational outcomes not improving? 
And this community meeting won't be held, you know, in the centre of some major metropolis. It's held at the Seaford Community Centre. Station Street in Seaford. Put this in your diary. At one thirty to 4, all right, good discussion. Two and a half hours of solid discussion. Tea and coffee available. On Saturday, the 2nd of October, one thirty to 4.30. And the guest speaker is Jeanine Eli, who's well known, has a foundation member in 1964 of the Defence of Government Schools, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. So think about it. Put it in your diary. Join the discussion. Can't make it? Give them a ring. See if they can organise something in your part of the world. Uh, 0458 141 071. Simple. Turn up on the day and I'll uh, keep advertising it over the next few weeks because it's an important community forum. Come along. Join Pipsy. Think about it. All right, listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. As I said, it's about people taking initiative. I'll give you an example. On the same day, 1st of October, on the same day, um, I've been in, involved in a uh, little group called the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Group since 2002. And regular listeners to the program know that the major thing we do is we organise celebrations which are held in Ballarat from 4am to 10pm on Eureka Day, the 3rd of December. And uh, they're basically held to highlight the central elements of the Eureka Rebellion. The central elements of the Eureka Rebellion isn't a revolt about a miner's licence or even revolts about parliamentary democracy. The central elements of the Eureka Rebellion, I've done a little booklet on this, which I'm happy to share, are direct action, direct democracy, solidarity. Think about it. Think about it. So, over the last 14 years, we have been unsuccessfully lobbying the Ballarat City Council to do three things, three simple things. Fly the Eureka flag on the main flag bowl on the Ballarat Town Hall on Eureka Day, the 3rd of December. Declare the 3rd of December, Eureka Day, as a public holiday in Ballarat to allow the people of Ballarat to celebrate a story that is pivotal to Ballarat's community, social, cultural and financial future. And three, to work towards the passage of federal legislation that recognise the Eureka flag as an official Australian flag. Well, as you would know, to date, we've had no success. Nil, nil. So I thought this year we're having council elections in a few weeks. Uh, nominations open on the 15th of September if you're thinking of actually uh, standing in the Victorian council elections. Nominations close on the 20th of September. And then, and then uh, I expect that ballot papers will be sent out. Most councils have uh, postal ballots will be sent out at the end of the um, at the beginning of October. So what you know, what we've decided from the reclaim the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations on the same day, as the Pipsy people are uh, organising the privatisation 
Education Privatisation Meeting at the Seaford Community Centre. That's the 2nd of October. We'll be sending an invitation to every candidate in the Ballarat City Council election to come to a Meet the Candidates public forum between 1pm and 3pm on Sunday the 2nd of October, that's Sunday the 2nd of October, at Ballarat Regional Trades and Labor Council at 24 Camp Street in Ballarat. Let's put them through there. Let's see how many accept the invitation and then let's put them through the the motion of uh, seeing what their ideas are regarding the role of the Eureka Rebellion, not just in the city of Ballarat but the rest of the country, how important this is. And just to remind you, we are organising celebrations once again for the 3rd of December, which is a Saturday this year. That's right, the 3rd of December is a Saturday. So I encourage you to come. You don't have to ring anybody. It doesn't cost you anything. You have to get to Ballarat. No, we don't organise buses. You've got to make your own way there. You can do it. For... Starts at 4am at Eureka Park. Ends with a Eureka dinner and uh, speakers. Again, over the next few weeks, we'll be able to uh, highlight the uh, venue and speakers. But put it in your calendar. Saturday, 3rd of December, come along. And if you want to see what the people who put up their hands to stand as representatives for the city of Ballarat and what what their opinions are regarding these three questions, come along to the public meeting, Meet the Candidates public meeting at 1 to 3pm on Sunday the 2nd of October at Ballarat Regional Trades and Labor Council. As again, as I keep telling you, you can organise these things. It is not difficult. I'm not going to bore you with uh, other activities that we've got organised. Obviously, there's plenty more. I mean, we don't see the end of the year as the uh, end of political activity and social activity for the year. And uh, we've also got Peter Norman Day, which is Sunday the 9th of October. And guess what? At the same time, well, between 1 and 4 p.m., it's also 3CR Open Day. So you can go to Peter. If you are in Melbourne on that day, you go to the Peter Norman um, Human Rights Day um, gathering at midday. And after that, you can wander around down the road to 3CR the community radio station this program is being broadcast on via the community radio broadcast from, not on, I'm not on the bloody roof, <laughs> broadcast from via those friendly folk of the community radio network. All right? You can wander down and open day, have a look, meet the staff, meet the volunteers, see what it's all about. Okay, let's move on. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. And why do I spend so much time? You know, giving you information about activities that we're involved in, that we're organising, that we're pushing. Simple. Because it's... Don't expect the government girl at ABC or the corporate-owned media to give us a free kick and actually highlight what we are doing. They're not going to do it. I mean, the privately-owned media is there to make a buck. They don't give a shit what type of garbage comes out of the mouth of their presenters and what type of garbage they present on a daily basis, whether it's half-truths or no truth at all, it's irrelevant. It's about the advertising dollar. And all those of you who get upset when I talk about the government guild at ABC, listen to the bloody ABC and watch the ABC these days and you'll find that it's a clone. 
to a significant degree of the privately owned media. It's a clone of the privately owned media. And we've got the same faces talking about the same things within a well-defined envelope. And any discussion outside that well-defined envelope is taboo, is not on. And if you don't believe me, waste a few hours of your life watching ABC television, listening to ABC radio and going through their websites, look at their various platforms, you'll be shocked. So we need to do it. And we don't do it for them, we do it for us. And as I said last week, remember, it's not our job to react like Pavlov's dogs. You know, they put up the racist card, they put up, you know, the... uh, you know, the anti-gender card, and we go, woof, 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 lap, 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 saliva, 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 you know, get really carried away. And that's not our role as activists. Our role as activists is not to react like Pavlov's dogs time and time again, but our role is to create an alternative within the structures we find that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Because if a subject is floated in the government owned, in the privately owned media or the government guild at ABC, it disappears from sight within 24 hours. Think of the Panama Papers. What? Who? What? What are the Panama Papers? You're thinking to yourself, oh, those papers when we saw trillions of dollars being illegally pocketed by large corporations and wealthy individuals. I think I remember that. See, because they don't, they don't continue on those issues they go from issue to issue to issue to issue to issue that's why it's new news new i mean that's where it comes from news it's new right what our job is is to initiate campaigns initiate issues whether it's campaigns about the fact that workers in this country it is illegal to strike in this country that workers in this country have fewer rights than somebody who's imported, who's been charged with importing 100 kilos of heroin. Few legal, fewer legal rights. Don't believe me? Look at the legislation. I mean, we've got trade unions who've become impotent. And they've become impotent for two reasons. One, we've had the globalisation, privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation revolution, which has seen... Huge amount of legislation being passed through Parliament which is designed to break the collective bargaining ability of workers who come together in trade unions or workplace organisations. We've seen the criminalisation of legitimate political action on a worksite. We've seen the introduction of part-time labour, private contracts... And the list goes on and on. We've seen union membership plummet in the private sector and decrease in the public sector. And we see continuing attacks, as we'll see in Parliament in the next few months, when Mr Turnbull gets his act together and uh, tries to pass through the new you know, building legislation, which further criminalises building workers in this country. You can see how little scope there is for movement. And then we've seen the expansion of the student visa program, the overseas, you know, young travellers program, 
and the 457 visa program. So this country is flooded with non-unionised labour whose major role it is to decrease wages and remove hard-won rights and conditions. And we see this on a daily basis. But it's not headline news. Not headline news. Radio, television, whatever. You know, it's a full stop. And if some poor group of workers dares to have a four-hour strike, the raft of the privately owned media and the government girl at ABC falls on their heads. So that's the climate we live in. So you can't expect these media outlets to give you a fair game. That's not their role. Their role is to contain protest. Their role is to destroy organisations like ours who are not Pavlov's dogs. We don't bark at every time, you know, some issue, you know, some manufactured issue becomes the issue of the day in the mass media, you know, and spend all our time and energy, you know, barking at nothing. I mean, we're here to organise activities and events, to raise critical objections and to ensure that change occurs. Egalitarian change, radical change. That's what we're about. So that's why it's important that we continue to use this country's past, this history, this glorious history in many occasions. A wonderful, rich tapestry of history which made Australia, you know, at the forefront of the social movement at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, which have seen us as a people achieve much more than other people. Think about it. Think about it. I mean, you do have options, I agree. You can bury your head in the sand, reasonable option, not very comfortable. You'll suffocate intellectually if you bury your hand in the sand, especially if it goes up your nose and your ears and your mouth. You won't last long. And you won't last long intellectually, morally, and even socially if you bury your head in the sand. You can you can throw up your hands in horror and say it's all too hard and find another porn site on the World Wide Web. Not hard to find, they tell me. You know, you can become a the world's biggest click activist... Fair enough, that's your thing. But just watch out for that forefinger. It can get, you can get arthritis. Or you can become involved in activity. Or initiate it. If you can't initiate, you can actually become involved. And that's the problem today. We have created a culture that promotes whinging, cringing, complaining consumers. I mean, when you deal with the public service, especially the federal public service, you're a customer. You're a consumer. Obviously, if you're one of the 33% of Australians who relies on social security benefits to survive, you're not a customer or a consumer. You're a citizen or a resident who requires assistance. And you should be be true of the respect a citizen or, or a resident should have, not as some 
cringing consumer waiting in line to be drip-fed enough to survive for the next fortnight. But that's the situation. And this hasn't happened accidentally. And that's what people think. Oh, what is it? so what? So what if I'm a customer? So what? Big difference. Big difference. Citizens have rights. The only right a customer has is the right to be exploited and complained about it later on and possibly occasionally win, but not very often. But citizens have rights. Think about it. Think about it. The language changes, and it changes for a reason. It changes in order to cement the power of those who currently exercise power. It is there to cement the power of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. That's why the language changes. Look at the plight of asylum seekers. We've got about 3,000 people offshore in Manus Island and Nauru and private corporations who are acting on behalf of us through our government are being paid about $3 billion a year. That's $1 million per year per refugee. With $1 million, you could actually bring them across on a... uh, a visa has uh, investors, <laughs> when you think about it. And then we have reports from the ombudsman or the attorney, you know, the people who look at these things and they say, well, there's no accountability. They're using the money as they like. And then you look at the living conditions of these people and you look at what they're subjected to on our behalf. You know, it's done on our behalf. It's done on my, on my behalf, your behalf. With our taxpayers' dollars, let's not forget that. This is the reality. I mean, you know, it's good to know that we're using the, this money, this $3 billion, to enrich some overseas corporations and torture some unfortunate people who've been tortured now for three to four years. We've got no future because we have decided that they are the sacrificial lambs. They are the ones who are going to stop, you know, further asylum seekers coming to this country. Because when the word gets out how poorly treated people are, that people aren't going to come here. So think about it. Done on your behalf, through your government, using your money to create huge profits for overseas owned corporations which are providing minimal, if basic, services. I mean, $1 billion a year. One million per person a year. Come on, you could put them up in the, you know, the Hilton, in the penthouse, across the country, or you could give them the million dollars and say, "Here you are. Here's a million dollars. We don't want you here, but go somewhere else. I'm sure you'll be able to uh, go to some country where they'll, you know, accept you and your million dollars as an investor, because you know there are many countries in the world like Australia which have." investors' residence programs while you bring in some money to the country to set up a business. Hey, presto, before you know it, you're one of us. Isn't it wonderful? Now, this privatisation garbage has gone one step further. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. Now, I don't know 
if you know that the private the stock exchange is a private or privately owned organisation. But there is what's called the ASIC register, which the public owns. And this is where companies have to give us a little bit of information about their activities, you know, which we can register which we can actually access like who's on the board, maybe how much they earn, where profits go. Yeah, a little bit of information in the public domain. You can access it. And a lot of reporters, you know, our friends in the government-owned, uh, in, the, in the government guild at ABC and the corporate-owned media use this information to actually give us a little bit of a sniff, a little bit of an insight into how those who wheel power, those who determine parliamentary policy, not the parliamentarians, but that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, you know, uh, how they're faring, what's going on. Well, guess what? The ASIC register is now going to be privatised, sold off. And that means that information will no longer be freely available to people. This is a reaction to the exposures which occurred in the Panama Papers, where a lot of this information which was up on the ASIC ASIC register was found to be total crap, did not coincide with reality. So what they're going to do now is their friends in the Liberal National Party, possibly their friends in the the alternative Liberal Party, commonly known as the Australian Labor Party, the ALP, they're going to privatise the ASIC register so we can't get access to that information. Because obviously if you do shine the light on that information, well, it's not pleasant, is it? It's not pleasant for them. It may mean that instead of a $5 million bonus, they have to be happy with a $4 million bonus. It may mean that you know, we may get a little bit of insight into the fact that these people pay no tax legally. And the list goes on and on. So think about it. Everywhere you look, everywhere, we see the hand of corporate Australia. Everywhere we look, we see the way they manipulate public opinion. Everywhere you look, you see the poverty of parliamentary debate and the poverty of the legislative agenda, how the legislative agenda is designed, designed not to enroach, encroach. Enroach. I was thinking they were cockroaches. All right. Encroach. Well, you can't help it. You get these thoughts in your mind, you know. You're thinking enroach, encroach, you know, because you're thinking they're cockroaches. Well, my apologies to cockroaches out there. To compare corporate Australia to hard-working cockroaches, well, it's just not on. My apologies. And if there are any roaches in my place, please don't come out tonight and bite me, all right? I'm sorry that I offended you. I should not compare the corporate world with cockroaches. It's just not fair to the cockroaches. Okay. All right, let's move on. Let's move on before I die of laughter. And that's one thing that's good. I actually have seen a man die of laughter. 
he, had a, he was having a good laugh and he had a heart attack and we couldn't bring him around, but what a way to go. Not that I thought that at that particular time. This is about 30 years ago. I thought, oh, this is not good. All right, workers' compensation. See, this is what happens. This is, this is what I love. This is what I love. For years, for years, activists have been saying, especially those that deal with in workers' compensation, that there is something wrong with the system. Because when the system was privatised, we had private organisations to run the workers' compensation scheme. And as I said, the main responsibility of a privately owned organisation, especially if it's publicly listed on the stock exchange, which all these organisations which run the workers' compensation system in Victoria, I'm not sure interstate how it works, whether it's privatised or run by state governments, but in Victoria I'm very familiar with the situation. You have, pri- I mean, their major commitment is not to the workers that are injured, their major commitment is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. And finally, the day before the um, Workers' Compensation Ombudsman presented her report to tell us how difficult it is in complex cases, and you would think that if it's a complex case, that is the case you need to put more resources into, how workers' compensation companies, especially one company which is called CGU, that's right, CGU, and if you don't believe me, have a look at the front page of the Sunday Age on the um, 11th. It could have been the, the Age on the Saturday, I'm not sure. I mean, putting up a case of a woman who committed, a worker who committed suicide, and after she committed suicide, the family got the information from CGU that the decision had been reversed to cancel, you know, compensation. And we hear these cases all the time. We hear people who are being trod on, exploited, through life insurance schemes, through workers' compensation schemes, through these schemes which are being run by corporate Australia, and you see them every day on bloody television you know, advertising their wares, you know, telling us you need funeral insurance, accident insurance, um, mortgage insurance, insurance to see whether there's any lint in your navel. I haven't seen that when I made that up. But, But the reality is that people have been ripped off on a daily basis. And we're told by government, well, there are mechanisms by which we can keep an eye on the corporate sector. We've got the Australian Security Investment Commission, ASIC. Well, so what do you do? We know that people have been driven, driven to suicide by some, and these are some of these are young people with families, by some of these decisions we have seen what happened in the Commonwealth Bank when the chief medical officer, looking after the claim sections, he basically was pilloried, ostracised and marginalised when he blew the whistle on what was happening in their insurance uh, system. And we're told that, well, the regulator can keep an eye on this. And what happens? The regulator isn't funded to keep an eye on it. 
the regulator doesn't have the laws that he can use to prosecute these people. The regulator doesn't have the staff to actually investigate. And although you log in your complaint, the staff are so overwhelmed, they don't have time to investigate. And all this is part of government policy. How to keep the corporate sector happy. They're not, they're not happy that 1% owns 40% of the wealth in this country and 40% own 1%. They're not happy about the fact that they pay voluntary taxation in this country, that we've got huge corporations like Chevron, a multi-billion dollar corporation, paying $245 tax legally, or people like Rupert Murdoch, through News Corporation, getting an $846 million tax refund in 2013 while sending billions of dollars offshore. And I could, I could list them. IKEA, 2% tax. Google, Apple, I'll go on and on and on and on and on and on. I could fill up 24 hours telling you about the 1,500 major corporations, one third of which paid no tax legally last year. And the great thing is they do it legally because the laws aren't there. And then we see the Turnbull-led government beating itself in the chest and saying, we have a budgetary emergency. And I agree. We do have a budget emergency. But the budget emergency is not, is not related to the fact that people, you know, exist on social security benefits. That Budget emergency, which says there is no money for public health, which says there is no money for public education, that public emergency, that budget emergency, is directly related to the fact that corporate Australia legally pays no tax in this country. And when a few months ago I ran that campaign in the electorate of Dunkley, right, in the federal election as an independent, and put up a few ideas with a budget of less than three grand, which came out of my pocket, you know, trying to raise this issue in that electorate, just as a test case, what happens? Minimal, minimal support. 1.31% vote. 1.31%. 1,131 people voted for me. Well... You know, 80% of the electors voted for the Liberal National Party and the Labor Party. Extraordinary. Just extraordinary. But that's, that's, that's the state of the nation because people are not thinking in that way. They think it's those bloody people in that Housing Commission flat that are making my life a misery. It's those bloody single parents that are making my life a misery. It's those bloody people on the new start allowance which are making my life a misery. And the list goes on and on. It's those bloody Muslims which are making my life a misery. You know, it's those bloody people living under the bridge down the road which are making my life a misery. That's why my kids can't get a good education or get a job or get health care when they need it. Well, mate, and mate S's, that's not the problem. You know what the problem is? 
It's those bloody politicians who are in the pockets of those bloody corporations who ensure that no legislation ever goes through Parliament which actually puts the public hand in their pocket and drags out the loose change. A 1% tax, a 1% tax on turnover, a 1% tax on financial transactions, a 1% tax on the stock market turnover, and denying businesses with a turnover of more than $5 million the luxury of claiming that GST is a tax deduction would raise $450 billion per year in extra taxation to more then cope with the social security needs of people in this country. And why do you call it social security? Because it, by looking after the basic needs of people who are not in a position to look after their needs at a particular point in their lives means there is security for each and every one of us. So you don't have to step over homeless people or be worried about people invading your home or carry a, put a baseball bat under your bloody bed because you're worried about a home invasion or being concerned about being, you know, held up in the streets. That's why it's a social security system. You destroy the social security system, you increase crime. Why do you think this penal colony was established on this continent in 1788 by the British government? Because they had no social security system and a huge number of people had to resort to crime. And irrespective of the draconian nature of the punishment, whether you hung them, drawn and quartered them, you know, uh, sent them, you know, to penal colonies overseas, that crime continued to increase until a social security system was introduced. So think about it. $450 billion, enough money for public education, enough money for public infrastructure, enough extra money to ensure that Medicare reverts back to what it was a universal public health insurance system which pays for most of the medical costs people incur when they need to see a privately owned doctor. More money for public hospitals. It doesn't take a revolution. It doesn't take blood in the streets. All it takes is a simple act of parliament. And not one of the major political parties are willing to move in that direction because as far as they're concerned, with the smaller parties, especially the crossbenchers in the Senate, it's the fault of the other. The other. The refugee, the migrant, the Muslim, the Aboriginal, the Torres Strait Islander. It's all the people on Social Security benefits, those people in housing commissions, you know, f- flats and houses. It's the other that's at fault. And the bigger parties are married to the corporate sector. Forget about the marriage equality plebiscite which is dead in the water they are married to the corporate sector they don't care what gender they marry it's the colour of the money which is important the brighter the notes and the more the notes the more pleasant the marriage and that's what we've got we've got a marriage of parliament the major political parties and the corporate sector and the ring boy and ring girl you know, that's the crossbenchers in the Senate who think the other is the problem. And that's why it's essential, essential 
that we create this third political movement in this country. Public interest before corporate interest. Not just a political party, but a social, political and cultural movement. Public interest before corporate interest. And part of that campaign is to register public interest before corporate interest as a federal political party so we can actually become involved in that process and raise issues of concern which no other political party is willing to raise. So I implore you, join us. Become a member. I'm the convener and secretary of public interest before corporate interest. Become a member. Go to the website, pipsy.net. Download the application form. Do it today. Haven't got a computer? Ring me on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Leave a contact name and address and I'll send you out the material. Haven't got a phone? Got a stamp? Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Interested in further information? Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. Anarchistmedia.org. Go to the other website, pipsy.net. Pipsy.net. Interested in following up the Tanaminawaya Moorbohina commemorations and other activities I'm involved in? Go to my Facebook page, Toscano, the number for the public. Simple, Toscano for the public. Become a friend, like the page. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. It's us working together which will change things. Not working apart, but working together. It's you and me and other listeners and other people on the web and other people involved working together that will change things. Join public interest before corporate interest. Do it now. No excuses. Ring us up. Email us. Pipsy.net. Go to the website. Download the application form. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or pipsy, P-I-B, info at pipsy, P-I-B-C-I, dot net. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Thanks to all those people that have written, emailed, phoned me over the past week, and all those people involved in many of the activities that have been initiated by the Anarchist Media Institute. Look, it's good to be part of this growing social and political movement. Uh, keep in contact. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. And remember, you've got a choice. You can be a cringing, carping consumer or an active citizen or resident of this country. It's up to you. The choice is yours. Make a choice today. And if you decide to be a cringing, carping consumer, don't annoy me. But if you want to be an active citizen, you can ring me on 0439 395 489. Email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. If you enjoyed the program, found it interesting, send the podcast to your families. Send it to your local politicians. Listen in. To the Anarchist World this week, next week. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week, 
Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.